Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so excited to welcome David Goldsmith, Executive Director of Seven Paths Forward, co-founder of the International Coaching Federation, and really one of the iconic founders of executive coaching, the executive coaching profession, to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, David. Hi, Gretchen. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I have to tell our audience a little bit of the story of how we met. And um, we've both recently moved into a building in Melbourne, Australia. We both divide our time between America and Australia. Uh, You happened to overhear me say I was American and introduced yourself. And later when I met you and your wife, I had no idea what you did. And um, it's so funny. You said, oh, I'm a coach. And it was your wife that said, well, this is the David Goldsmith. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am in the presence of coaching royalty. Uh, So I'm very excited about continuing to get to know you on a social level, but um, thrilled to have you here on the Greatness Podcast to talk about coaching. I'm really happy to be here. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And uh, I'm so glad that I overheard your conversation in the lobby and we've gotten to know each other. Yeah, it's fun. So I like to start with my guests about what what in your life made you passionate about coaching? What in your life journey created this passion for coaching people and helping people be successful? I think it was the work I was born to do, but it took me a while to figure that out. But 20-ish years ago, no, 30 years ago, my father was diagnosed with a rare form of lung cancer. Mm. about 90 days to live. I was living in Florida at the time. He was in New York. And I was up visiting somewhere in the middle of that journey. Mom was out getting caught up on some errands and dad was chatting. And he said, you know, I don't think your mother's doing enough to take care of me. Now, that was kind of a ridiculous statement because my mother was doing everything to take care of him. But as we know, people that are sick and dying kind of lose some perspective in the world. I was in a completely other different business at the time, but I chatted with him about what he was seeing and noticing. And at the end of that conversation, he said, wow, that was incredibly helpful. I don't know what you just did. Go do more of that. I don't know if that's a shrink, a therapist. And this was before we knew what coaching was. So I bookmarked that and thought about that. Didn't know what to do. it. didn't think I did anything special. Just showed up and talked and shared perspective. A few months later, Uh, I got a call from my friend, Mark. Now, Mark and his wife and my wife, we would go out to dinner every six weeks or so for dinner and movie, and we would chat about what our business is, what we were up to. And at those dinners, Mark would share his ideas about this business he was creating. And we'd have an enthusiastic conversation about it. And then six weeks later, we get together again and have the same conversation. So one day, he, as I said, called me and he said, can I hire to be my coach? I said, sure. What's that? And he said, well, I think if we have to kept the conversations going that we had at dinner, but did them on a more regular cadence, I'd actually get this business idea off the ground. He said, and I'll pay you. Uh, He said, okay, so let's talk for half an hour a week and let's see how it goes. It was incredibly successful. Mark went on to be incredibly successful in his business. He still owns and runs that business. We're still friends. And he referred a ton of people to me, and that's where I got started. Now, in the middle of that, my wife said, 
don't you need some training to do this? Don't you need to? And I said, sure, where? And then I shortly thereafter learned about Coach U. And Thomas Leonard at the time was uh, very prolific in writing about coaching, which I hadn't known. We connected. I became a student. I became a coach of his. I became a trainer. I managed volunteers and ultimately became the president of his organization. And that's when we founded the International Coaching Federation because mm-hmm. we said there's all these coaches running around and they need a place to associate. So let's get this thing launched. Now, he and I set it up. I picked the domain name, the phone number, but an amazing amount of coaching talent went on to breathe life and make the International Coaching Federation the success it was. I can't take credit for any of that, but I was proud to get the thing off the ground. Mm, That's so awesome. I love stories of how people step up and create things. When there's a gap, there's a need. Like you said, we don't have anywhere to go hang out together. And, um, but it takes somebody not just with the vision, but the ability to execute it. So congratulations on that because it doesn't always come to fruition. So that's amazing. Yeah. So what does good coaching look like? What, what's, um, you know, I feel like that word is used and it's used in sports and business and, you know, they're a good coach, she's a good coach, whatever, but, but what is the foundational, what are the foundational elements of good coaching? Well, actually, in my work, we distinguish good coaching from great coaching. So my crusade for about the last six or seven years has been to provide a way for already good coaches to become great coaches, because I think we need more great coaches in the profession. I think good coaches are ultimately going to be displaced by robots, but that's a conversation for another day. But I'll answer your question in terms of what makes a great coach. A great coach, if you think about it like a master carpenter, They have an enormous box of tools. They can repair, build, do anything. They know which saw to use for which particular thing. And they know which tools to deploy when. Many good coaches, I think, do a fine job supporting people, but it tends to be a very similar kind of program for everybody. Mm. When you move into greatness, you're able to say, oh, this client needs 15 minutes every day. This client, I think I should talk to for an hour every two weeks. This client needs a more directive approach. This client needs a lot more listening and provocative questions. But to be able to really customize and get to the root of what really matters. And what we found is that great coaches get far greater results in much less time than a good coach will. Mm. And I think uh, at the fast pace of change that all the business people I'm working with are facing, they have less and less time. So the more that I can get in, get out, help them with what they need very surgically and quickly, the more efficient and valuable it is for them. So it all be, it ultimately becomes less about time and more about value and more about them growing and learning rapidly. Mm. You're, you're going, this is a very interesting intersection because this podcast is called Greatness. And I start at the beginning by saying, saying, why be good when you can be great at the beginning of every episode. So you and I are aligned on this differentiation between between good and great leaders, good and great coaches. You know, there's a plateau that certain people reach. What what are the fundamental skills? I'm going to go down two paths, one people looking for coaches and one people, you know, kind of people who who are coaching and and coaching not just as professional coaches, but leaders as coaches too. What are those skills that make somebody a great coach? Like what, how, what do they elementally 
elementally, is that a word? What are what fundamentally, there we go. What do they fundamentally need as some skills and behaviors to reach that greatness? They need the ability to start quick and start fast and really figure out what does this client need right now and to be able to ask the right questions and get moving quickly. Then they have to be able to go deep on the thing that's going to matter the most. And then most importantly, they have to be able to finish that coaching conversation where the client is clearly in action, knows what to do, uh, nothing's going to get in the way of them taking action. Because at the end of the day, coaching is really about movement and progress. Mm -hmm. And if you have a great insight and don't do anything with it, it was a nice conversation. And it was a lot of what Mark and I would have at dinner all those times was lots of great insights, but no action. So fundamentally, the measure is, do you get into action and can you make a difference? If you're looking for a coach and you're wondering, how do I select one? It's less about whether you get along with them or like them or would want them to be a friend. But can you, in five or 10 minutes of conversation, feel like you can generate an insight and an action that you didn't have normally? Mm. The standard I set for myself if I was meeting somebody is, in 10 minutes, I've helped them see something they didn't see before we were talking. So that's, that's the approach I take. If you're a leader adding coaching skills to your tool bag, I think what you get really good at is listening, asking questions, and starting to shift from being directive to being curious and being able to help other people figure things out and provide good examples, good questions, good thinking good processes for other people to figure that out for themselves. Because if they can figure it out for themselves, they're going to grow. They're going to be able to do it again the next time without you. And that's the measure, I think, of what you want both as an external or an internal coach or a manager or leader. Mm, so much to unpack there. You know, Humble Inquiry by Edgar Schein is one of my favorite books in the world. Um, I had the good fortune for Edgar Schein to be my coach for a year before he passed away in January. And I did a podcast with him about that book. And, you know, great leaders ask great questions. And, um, you know, um, and having those aha moments, I was speaking to a woman I've been coaching on Sunday, and she said I had a Gretchen moment. And um, <laughs> she didn't have access to me on Saturday because my daughter was getting married. <laughs> but I said, I'll talk to you on Sunday. And she said, I figured it out. I kind of had a I imagined what you would say to me and I had a Gretchen moment. So why outside coaches? And, and as I said, Edgar Schein was my coach. So even coaches have coaches, right? It's, uh, it's not like you get to some pinnacle in your life and you're done being coached. What, what is the value of having not just a leader who might be coaching you, but an outside voice? I think sometimes there can be a power dynamic situation. If you're a very senior leader in an organization if there's somebody on the coaching team, if the power dynamics are weird, you may not respect them. You may not engage with them in a way that's appropriate. Uh, you may not think they know enough. They may not have the background and the experience you have. The more senior you are as a leader, uh, the more places you've been. And you need a coach that has some amount of background and some ability to have gone a number of places and worked in a variety of things. You also want someone who isn't afraid for their job who is going to just coach you fearlessly and be able to say, hey, Gretchen, I think your uh, idea here isn't going to work, or you said you were going to do this for the last three sessions, you haven't done it. What's that about? And an internal person may not feel like they have the safety to be able to have that conversation. So I think that's an important piece from that outside perspective. 
I think the outside person also brings a range of perspectives from all the people they're working with. So they're often working with a variety of leaders from a variety of organizations. They're bringing, you know, by the way, the problem you're struggling with, with hybrid work, I'm engaging with all my CEOs on right now. And here's some of where they're going and thinking. So I'm bringing a range of information that I'm gleaning from people wrestling with the same conversation. Mm, yeah. I think coaches are invaluable. I mean, um, I'm actually uh, interviewing a new coach um, uh, today um, that Richard David Hames uh, recommended to me as I search for my my new coach in the world. So how, how do you find a coach? I mean, you're out there and you think, okay, I get it. I, I value that my, an outside voice adds a perspective that maybe people coaching me in the organization doesn't. How do you go about finding a great coach? That's an interesting problem, and I don't think it's one that's been well solved. So it's a very fragmented industry. There's lots and lots of single shingle kinds of people practicing. And frank and truthfully, most of them build up their practices by word of mouth. So uh, I think there are some interesting things. If you are interested in looking for a coach, you could certainly post something on LinkedIn, being very specific about what you're looking for. Mm. And then asking for people to respond why they would be specifically good for you. Now, you will get a lot of annoying responses in that realm, too. Um, but I would discard every single one of them that gives you a generic response and only pay attention to the ones that followed instructions and gave you a, a very specific response. So I'd ask a very specific set of questions. I think certainly asking other leaders, who do you work with? Who do you use? Uh, because it's also an interesting thing. I can't run around and say, hey, by the way, here's the roster of all the leaders I'm working with, because some of those folks want that information kept confidential. So you and I may know each other, but you may not have any idea all the people that I'm coaching or the roles or organizations they're in. And that's my job to keep that quiet. And from time to time, I'll run into somebody who's happy for me to chat about it. And I'll share about that. But for the most part, you won't know. Um, but if you ask leaders, who do you recommend? Who are you using? Why do you think they're good? Or I'm struggling with this. Who do you think is a good coach for that? Those are some of the places you can go. Mm, that's great advice. Asking other people, which is what I did, you know, reaching out to other people and saying, hey, my coach passed away. I'm, and, and, and what, I mean, I know what I asked for, <laughs> what I'm asking for in a coach, but what do, you, what do you think, what do you hear the most or what are the most relevant things that people out there are saying, this is what I'm looking for from a coach? that is appropriate to, to, to ask of an outside coach? I think it's all appropriate. So I don't know that there's a barrier on that. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of folks, I'm struggling to lead in complexity. The world is moving faster and changing faster. And I don't think I have was trained in my business career to deal with the world at this speed. So that's a big thing that leaders are asking for help with. Uh, I think People are also looking for clarity. I've got a lot going on. I've got 17 different projects. I can go in 47 different directions. What's the one that's the most useful for me? I was on a call with my coach this morning asking some of those very questions and looking ahead to 2024 to think through, where am I going to put my time? Where am I going to put my energy? Because there's a lot of places I could. What's going to be the most effective? Another place I'm frequently hearing people say is, I want to move up in my organization. I'm at this senior role and I want to really position myself to be, be a CEO. 
And what we find is that many organizations, the higher up in the organization you go, the less development is really there. There's a lot of leader development for people to become managers, managers to become directors, maybe directors to become VPs. But after that, it's kind of on your own. So getting that support to help you develop and get or, get set for a future role, less of those tools available in organizations than you would think. Yeah, that complexity thing. I mean, that's absolutely why I went back at the age of 50 and did my PhD. You know, my friends were like, Gretchen, you're president of a company. I was flying 120 flights a year and you're going to head off and do a PhD. But being an engineer finance major before that, A, I didn't have a lot of exposure to the social sciences. And so I really wanted to understand how leaders create nimble organizations. That's how I met Edgar Schein, because I studied board culture, I studied leadership, and I studied change, agility, ambidexterity, all these kind of, um, because the, I hate the, this acronym VUCA, you know, the volatile, uncertain, complex am, ambiguity of the world. But, um, and, and do you find that just creating more space to be reflective, to really sit and be thoughtful about um, about self-development, about the complexity of the world, about the strategies of the organization. It just seems like the speed of everything is speeding up right now, and it's really difficult to carve out that time to, to think. It sounds silly, but to just really be thoughtful about things. Do you find that with the people you're coaching? Oh, for sure. And it's a counterintuitive move because everything is going faster. There's more demands for your time. And what's needed is to be able to carve space out and to really have that reflective time and really be able to think. If you think about the hurricane or typhoon, uh, what's interesting is those are really messy storms with a lot of rain and wind, but in the middle of it is this beautiful eye. And in that eye, things are calm, things are quiet, things are peaceful. So one of the strategies that I work on with my clients is how do you keep moving with the eye? How do you get from the eye? How do you get yourself into the eye so that you can actually think and create? Because it's not true that you have to spend the 40, 50, 60, 70 hours the way you think you have. You can carve it up and change it differently, but it requires a lot of intentionality and a, a lot of forethought to set that up in a way that you'll be effective. Yeah, and creating boundaries. You know, when I was flying those 120 flights a year, I have a rule I never Wi Fi on planes. And my playing time is my thinking time. And, you know, you're just kind of journaling about how's the team doing and what's the next conversation we need to have. And, you know, just literally thinking, uh, thinking, it sounds silly to say, but but really just reflecting and thinking about things. And then when I moved to Australia and, and boom, I stopped flying every week for a while. I'm back flying almost every week again, but I, I, had, I had to be really intentional about figuring out where that new time was going to come from. Like, how did I create that new boundary without getting on a plane? It sounds silly, but um, I just had to reprioritize how I thought about some carved out time to think about things. Yeah. And what people don't realize is it looks hard to create the time, but that hour or two of thinking time has a exponential effect on the rest of the week ahead or the day ahead. But it's hard to carve it out because it looks like it's not productive when there's so many things on the list to figure out. But we found is when you have that reflection time, you deploy it regularly, it, the leverage is amazing. 
Yeah, it really is. And and I want to go back to your point you made earlier. That's why I hired Edgar Schein. I teach at two universities. I sit on three boards and advisory committees. I have clients. I have a podcast. <laughs> I have a new book deal. You know, I've got a book to write by June 24th and helping me sort through and think through my priorities and how... Um, my time is spent. Um, I have this thing called the pie of life. I had a a major heart scare um, 15 years ago. And so the first piece of the pie that I carve out is sleep and exercise, you know, but, but then how does the rest of that pie get divvied up and how it changes um, with the changing things in our business and our, in our personal lives and being intentional about that. Yeah. It's a lot to wrap up. One of the other interesting things that I find in my work uh, with leaders, and in particularly with the female leaders, and I'd say 60% of my practice is female CEOs and leaders at this point in time, is there's not a big boundary that we're working on. We're working on their whole lives, mm. all the challenges at work, all the challenges in their own life. Uh, more to your point, too, especially how do you have all the things you want? How do you not get into more complicated health situations? How do you make sure the work is meaningful? So, working on that full spectrum of what it means to be a human and a leader, I think is really important. Oh, absolutely. I just had breakfast with two women who serve on boards here in Kansas. I'm in Kansas City right now. And we were having this conversation about, um, I actually uh, wrote a small book called The Eight Steps to Being a Great Working Mom and did a TEDx talk about it because I realized that um, people Uh, a friend came to me and said, oh, you travel every week and you've got the two kids and the house and whatever, you know, how do you do it? You're so put together. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a facade. Like I'm one sick nanny day away from complete disaster. And we weren't having these human conversations, especially in male dominated fields, being in investment banking and strategy and construction, uh, looking at everyone thinking, why am I struggling with this? And they're, they're not. And having those very human conversations about, life and having a mother with dementia for 10 years and, um, you know, being separated from my children for 18 months when the pandemic happened and I was stuck in Australia and your son has to cancel his wedding um, and elope because your mom can't get out of Australia, right? So I love it that you um, bring that up about the whole human approach. It's not just about business. We have to look at each of us as 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 a human being that needs to thrive, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So as we're wrapping up here, what actually one last question before we wrap up, because people also ask me, what's the difference between a coach and a mentor and a sponsor? And we talk a lot about mentors and sponsor sponsors with um, women in, in STEM. But but just to make sure our, our audience out there understands what the difference between a coach and a mentor is. I think there's a bit of an accountability piece that goes into that difference. But typically, a mentor is going to be someone from your field or from your organization who's there to help show you the ropes, help you think about how to move forward in this particular career job. I think they're going to be more advice giving and more sharing of information, whereas a coach's role is really to help you become a better learner and to help you really understand how to ask better questions and figure things out for yourselves. There may be times when I may be a bit directive. There may be times when I provide some information, but at the end of the day, I want you to become a better learner and not need me forever. So I'm looking constantly to work myself out of a job, but I hold myself to a very high standard of accountability 
in terms of your growth and development. And I think mentors are there to do a good thing. I'm writing a book about a really interesting mentoring program in the New Zealand Air Force. Mm. And so I think it's, inc- and it's been incredibly successful. So I'm, it's interesting and important work, but it's different and distinct from coaching. Yeah. Edgar used to, he, he'd look at me and go, I'm giving you too many of the answers, Gretchen. I don't know how you get me to do this. He um, um, had a huge impact on my life and, um, and coaches do have a huge impact on, on people's lives. And I'm sure there's hundreds of people out there that would say that David has really given me a leg up on, on my success, not just in business, but as a person. I could talk to you about this forever. Um, one parting tip for our listeners out there as we wrap up, David, and I, and I am so grateful to you for taking the time to do this. When you're interviewing a coach, expect greatness. And if you don't get wowed and get greatness in that conversation, interview a few more. Uh, Get the best coach you possibly can. Pay whatever it costs to get them. It makes an enormous difference. Really talented, skilled coaches can really be a huge accelerant in your ability to grow your career rapidly and in a much more effective direction and can take years and years off your own development if done right. Yeah, I'm so grateful. I have a friend who says you always sit next to who you're supposed to sit next to. You always bump into who you're supposed to bump into. I mean, I had only lived in that building for about two weeks when you and I bumped into each other in the lobby. So um, I feel so fortunate to have um, run into you. And I look forward to continuing our friendship. And thank you, David, so much for coming on to the Greatness Podcast. It's been so fun to spend this time with you and can't wait to see you back in Melbourne. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.